How's that? I think there's been a little bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, I thought that my part was supposed to be 45 minutes long and not the entire service. So I go back and what I said, I can do that. I, I don't know what that... You'll be puddles by the end of the thing if I go too long, won't you? Just puddles of humanity from which to step from. In our home, we have a dog. It's a West Highland Terrier. It only weighs about 11 and a half pounds, but if you have one of those or ever seen one, you kind of know what's going to come from this. This little dog is a delight at times, but also uh, a, a great trouble at other times. Uh, I, on occasion, I will cook, and when I cook, the dog comes into my kitchen and is there by me the entire time. I think it has something to do with dropping things occasionally for her and Please don't lecture me on feeding table scraps to dogs because it won't do any good. But this dog comes in, and I wish that the dog would come in and want to be my companion and just want to hang out with me. But instead, the dog has an incredibly high expectation that she's going to get something, whether it's a carrot or a piece of meat or whatever it is. She constantly has this sense of, I deserve something. Give me something, and I expect it. And oftentimes, when we are pressed about serving and doing something for the church or for Christ's sake, we get that kind of attitude. What's in it for me? And that's not an unusual question. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, the apostle Peter, or the disciple Peter at this time, asked that very same question. He says in verse 27, He said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What is in this for us? We are going to follow you. We are going to serve you. What's in it for us? And what Jesus does is he answers Peter's question in chapter 20 with a parable, with a story. And so when we go to chapter 20, it is not starting a whole new episode. Instead, it is explaining Peter's question in chapter 27 of I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 27 of Matthew 19. And in that verse, he says, what's in it for me? So as we go through chapter 20 and talk about the story or the parable that Jesus teaches, we have to be careful that Jesus is not teaching about salvation. He is not teaching that the denarii or the payment for the day is the gift of salvation and that the time that you receive that payment is the age of your salvation. He's not talking about salvation. Neither is he talking about an economic plan for labor relations. That's not what chapter 20 is about. Uh, Steven Strasburg recently drafted number one in Major League Baseball by the Washington Nationals. If he was to take the attitude of chapter 20 when he negotiates his contract, he would be in a world of hurt. So it's not about an economic plan for us today and labor relations. Neither is it about rewards. It is not about rewards because Jesus is going to reward us for faithfulness and for service and each reward will be different applied specifically to you and for your sake. So those are not what chapter 20 is about. Instead, what chapter 20 is about is your attitude when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. What is your attitude when you are in service for Jesus Christ? And so what we're going to do this morning is ask ourselves three questions that will help us adjust our attitude to minister more effectively or to serve more effectively. The first question that we ask ourselves is, do you seek a contract with God instead of making a commitment to God? 
Do you seek a contract with God instead of making a commitment with God? In chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. There are two groups that we're going to hear about in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to hear about the group that negotiated a contract, and we're going to hear about a group that said, okay, fine, we'll do it, and you pay us whatever you want. Those are the two groups that we will hear about in Matthew chapter 20. Because what happens is early in the day during this time with Jesus, the the workers would go into the marketplace and the stewards or the ones that were in control of the vineyards would then come into the marketplace and they would say, you want to work? Come on, let's go and I will pay you. But this group of guys, they stopped and they said, okay, let's negotiate something here. Let's negotiate a contract. And so they negotiated a contract and the contract was for one denarius, which is one day's pay. It was very fair. You know, Jesus was a great observer of people and had the ability to to see what's going on. And being a carpenter, I'm sure that he had worked with laborers before himself. And so he's telling this story based upon his experiences and saying, okay, that's what some people do. They say, okay, we negotiate the deal, the contract is made, and off we go. And that's what they did. They make the negotiation and they move on. And verse 2, it says, he agreed to pay them a denarius a day, a full day's wage. Now what happens is Peter is listening to this story after he has asked the question, what's in it for me? And so as he begins to focus, I'm sure he's starting to think, hmm, about a a day's wage, uh, that's not too bad. But you see what happens is that the, the haggling and those that didn't haggle over the price and those that didn't negotiate, things were different. In verse 7 it says, He said to them, the other group of workers, You also go and work in my vineyard. There was no contract. No contract. And so what you have is you have the group that got the contract, one denarius per day, and the other group that he said, Just go and work. And they said, Okay, we will. And I'll pay you what is right at the end of the day. You see, we sometimes decide that we want to serve the Lord, but in serving Him, we want a contract. We negotiate with Him. And we say, okay, you know what? I will serve you, Lord, if you make me healthy, wealthy, and happy. I'll serve you. And we negotiate a contract with Him. We come to the place where we say, you know what, God? I will do whatever you want me to do as long as you look at clause 1, 2, and 3 of the contract here and fulfill your end of the bargain. But you see, what's happening in this chapter is that Jesus is trying to remind those that say, I'm willing to serve you, that it's all about commitment. It's not about a contract. It's about committing yourself. In verse, in Matthew chapter 20, the story continues on. And what happens in the story is that there are men that are hired at different times throughout the day. And as they are hired throughout the day, finally they come and they are hired with one hour left in the day. And the owner says, go and work in the vineyard. And they go and work in the vineyard. And then when payday pay time comes, he starts with the guys at, uh, who, who, who were hired last, and he hands them one denarii. And so they worked for one hour, and they got one day's pay. Imagine if you were the guy that started at 6 in the morning, and you said, you, you begin to think, wow, imagine what I'm going to get, probably 12 denarii, because I worked 12 hours. And you see, the contract goes into play there. But with God, he says, I don't want a contract. You say, well, why not? That's the way the world does it. The world is all about negotiating contracts. The world is all about what is in it for me. But you see, with God, we have to remember this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see, that is the God 
to whom we are committing ourselves. We are trusting Him, the gracious, generous God who gives lavishly, who gives exceedingly abundantly. He is the one that we say, yes, I'll serve you. I'll go with you. I will do whatever it is you want me to do instead of trying to negotiate a contract. Imagine contracts if they had been negotiated in the Bible. Think about Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph was uh, along with his brothers and the brothers didn't like him because he was his father's favorite, Isaac's favorite. Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob's favorite. And because he was his favorite, what happened was uh, his dad gave him a multi multicolored coat that was a superintendent's coat. And he shows up to his brothers and he says, here, look, look, uh, I, I've been having these dreams and you serve me in these dreams. And what do the brothers do? They grab him, they throw him in a pit. They end up selling him off into slavery. Imagine if Joseph would have negotiated a contract with God while he was in that pit. Joseph's contract negotiation probably would have gone like this. He would have said, God, please, what I want is for you to get me out of this pit and to take me back to my father. Right? That's probably what his negotiation would have been. But instead, he yielded himself to God. And in that pit, he went from the pit to being sold into slavery, to going into Potiphar's house, to going into the position of prime minister, to being the one that saved all of Egypt and all of Israel because he was able to figure out a plan of saving the grain so that it could be saved. He not only saved Egypt, he saved his father and his brothers. You see, if his contract had been fulfilled that he probably would have come up with, there would have been great destruction and desolation. Instead, he left it up to the one who does exceedingly abundantly above that which you ask or think. You see, too many times we we love to talk about relationships when it comes to God. You know, let's not talk about rituals or rites or things like that. Let's talk about relationship. Well, you know what? When you are in a relationship, you don't negotiate a contract. I mean, I don't know what it's like in your house, but I don't walk into my wife and say to her, okay, honey, this is the thing that you're going to do, these five things. You do these five things, then I'll do these four things. You know, there is not a couch big enough or comfortable enough for me to choose to sleep on to operate that way because relationship doesn't operate that way. And so in our relationship with God, we should not operate that way. Instead, we say to him, I am committed to you. I'll serve you. Here I am. You see, the more we get to know Him, the better we understand Him, the more able we are to go with Him. Uh, you've had this experience with small children. You know, you, you, you want to drop your young child off in the nursery or you want to uh, leave them with the babysitter. And sometimes you have to go through the explanation and say about this babysitter, they're fine, honey, they're wonderful, they're nice, they'll let you do this, they're great people. And you explain and you give the child over and the child feels more comfortable because they get to know that babysitter or that person in the nursery. And the same thing happens when we get to know God. When our relationship with Him grows, instead of negotiating a contract, we say, I'm committed, I'll serve you, here I am. So the first attitude check is, do I negotiate a contract or am I committed to God? The second question to adjust our attitude is, do you make comparisons instead of trusting God? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, Peter's question, we have left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? That question is prompted because what has just happened is the rich man came to Jesus and had been turned away because he didn't get it. He didn't understand that following Jesus was not about saying, okay, I'm wealthy, you're lucky to have me. Instead, it's about Jesus, I love you, I accept you, and I want to be a part of your life. And the rich man walks away. And as Peter sees the rich man walks, walking away, it dawns on him. You know, I had a pretty good fishing business. And things were going fairly well for me financially. But now I've given that up to follow Jesus. So what am I going to get as a result of it? You see, 
Peter became a people watcher instead of a God watcher. He began to make comparisons instead of trusting in God. He was comparing what he had to what the rich man had, and he came up short. He decided, I'm not getting enough. Uh, The same thing happens in the story in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, what happens is uh, those ones who had negotiated the contract began to see the payment of the day. The guys that were hired one hour before quitting time, they got one day's pay. The guys that were hired uh, six hours before quitting time, they got one day's pay. The guys that were hired nine hours before quitting time, they got nine days' pay. The guys that were hired at 6 a.m. got one day's pay. The guys that negotiated the contract said, this isn't fair. They were comparing themselves with the other laborers, and they were envious of them. You see, because when we make comparisons, comparisons lead to complaining, which leads to coveting, which leads to envy. And that's what was happening here. They were comparing themselves instead of saying, you know what? We should have trusted the landowner to be generous, to be gracious. But instead, we didn't. And now we are comparing ourselves to others. Peter was not immune to this on other occasions. Not only here in uh, Matthew chapter 19, but also in John chapter 21. Remember in John 21 where Jesus says, Peter, follow me and feed my sheep. Do you remember what Peter did? He wheeled on Jesus and he said, well, what about him? And he pointed to John, John the beloved. And he said, what about him? Shouldn't he serve you? Shouldn't he follow you? You see, too many times we get caught up in comparisons and we're comparing ourselves with each other instead of saying, I'm going to trust in what you give to me, Lord. You see, Peter had forgotten a couple of things. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, remember the things that you have. Peter, Jesus says to them in verses 28 through 30. Verse 28, it says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, all the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter forgot that he inherits eternal life. The rich man doesn't. Peter forgets that he is going to be in an administrative position in heaven one day. The rich man isn't. He ignores all of those things and instead compares himself to others around him. It is that terrible time of comparison that creates problems. Uh, You can imagine what was happening as the money was being handed out. When those that had negotiated the contract discovered that they were only going to receive a one day's wage, they were irate to say the least. But you see, when we take our eyes off of God and trust in man and look at man, the comparisons begin to melt. You see, you can always find comparisons to make yourself look better, can't you? You know, I teach at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, and I teach freshmen mainly. I have uh, four bells of freshmen and one bell of seniors. I teach Western civilization. And I, I taught a bell one year, and I walked in, and it was right after lunch, and so they were a little bit chatty. And I walked in. And I'm trying to explain something, and you know how you're explaining, and I'm pointing at the whiteboard and saying, look on the board, make sure you get the assignments and things like that. And some girl raised her hand. And I called on her, and she said, what kind of deodorant do you use? And I said, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? I think we were talking about the the Roman civilization. She goes, you're not pitted out. And she raises her arm, and she goes, look at me. She says, I'm pitted out. She said, what kind of deodorant do you use? Sure enough, she was black under the arms. I mean, it was kind of disgusting. But, you know, you can always make a comparison and find someone that is either worse off than you or better off than you. And that kind of comparison just creates havoc. And, of course, you you can imagine the class then. What's everyone doing? They're yelling out. I use right guard. I use menin. I use... 
And you're like, okay, let's get this back under control. Because when we make comparisons, it creates chaos. Instead of trusting, they compared. Please notice the third thing that happens that helps us to adjust our attitudes, to check our attitudes for effective service for Jesus. The third question is, do you become cocky in yourself instead of confident in others? I'm sorry, confident in God. In verse, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 20, it says this. In verse 10, it says, So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarii. They expected. They kind of got this cocky feeling. You know what? I'm, I'm going to get more. I deserve more. I've been here longer. And they were feeling cocky in themselves. Their overconfidence led to huge disappointment, didn't it? They were thinking of what they were going to get. They were thinking of how they were going to, to gain. Instead of being confident that God is going to reward, God is going to give you what is necessary, they became cocky in what it is for themselves. You see, the jealousy sets in when you don't trust in what God's going to do. When this life all comes to its conclusion, it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about God. And our confidence in Him is going to make dramatic differences. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is our confidence in ourself or is our confidence in God? You see, when you're confident in yourself, that leads to this cockiness. And God is not pleased when we are confident in ourselves. Instead, He wants our confidence to be in Him. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Don't start thinking, this is what I'm getting because of what I've done. Instead, wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. You see, in the end, it's what God says that's going to count. In the end, it's what God says that's going to be meaningful. Our confidence, is it in ourselves or is it in God? You see, it is our hope this morning that as we uh, uh, decide to serve, to yield our hands and our feet to service for Christ, that we are uh, aware of making bargains with God. We are aware of watching others. And we are aware of being cocky instead of being confident what God can do. You see, if we are right in our relationship with God, things dramatically change. Now, this story is about Peter. And so the question comes, well, did Peter learn his lesson? Well, I think he did because in Acts chapter 3, what happens is a guy comes to him and starts asking him for things. And Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you. Isn't that what service is about? Isn't that the proper attitude? Whatever I have, I give. Whatever I can do, I will do. And Peter began to demonstrate that. Look at ourselves. We should not insist upon a contract, but work for him. Motivated by the fact that God is infinitely gracious and generous in what he does. You know, sometimes when we adjust our attitude, it changes our entire perspective, doesn't it? It changes how we're going to approach things and how we're going to do service for Him in this summertime. I had the privilege one time of sitting in the audience and listening to Johnny Erickson. Have you ever heard Johnny Erickson? She's the, the young lady at age 18 who dove into the water off of a, a, a floating raft in a lake. 
and broke her neck. She became a quadriplegic. She has since created a ministry called Johnny and Friends where where she does an unbelievable job of reaching those that uh, have disabilities. Uh, And uh, she was telling the story of one of her friends. And she was talking about, you know, here's Johnny Erickson sitting in her wheelchair, unable to move uh, and to use her hands and her legs. And she's telling these stories of God's marvelous grace and how we need to take what God has done for us and reach out to others. And she says, would you be willing to help my friend Hannah? She said, my friend, my friend Hannah can't feed herself. My, my friend Hannah, she can't even roll over by herself. My friend Hannah needs to have her diaper changed. She says, are you willing to reach out and be the hands and feet for Hannah so that she can be helped? She says, uh, Hannah never gives a hug. She says, little Hannah never speaks. Would you be willing to reach out and touch and help young Hannah? And of course, sitting there and thinking and trying to imagine what it would be like to try to engage in that kind of activity, Johnny delivers this line. She says, Hannah is a three-month-old baby. Would you be willing to help her? It changes our perspective, doesn't it? You think you're going in one direction, how things will be, but suddenly it's just a baby. Is your perspective renewed by having the right attitude? And reaching out and saying to God, here are my hands, here are my feet, please use me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that is ours to sit here and to be in fellowship with one another. And Lord, more importantly, to be able to open your word and find things that help us, that apply practically to our lives. Please, Father, remove confusion and allow your truth to permeate our souls. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for attending. Have a great week.